And it is time for another episode of Put on a Stack of 45s with your pal Bill Mesnick. You there, my friend? I'm right here. He's on the West Coast, my friend Bill Mesnick. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a, he's a Hollywood kind of cat. Transcontinental. Transcontinental, as we love to say. This is, uh, this is your pal Rich Buckland in the uh, state of Florida. It's a state of uh, confusion quite often, but it is a state nonetheless. And uh, speaking about uh, states, we're going to go into a state of mind right now because we did a podcast well over a year ago where we asked the question, does Frank Sinatra belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Now, for me, this is a no-brainer. This is not even a this is not even a question. Yeah, I think we came down in the affirmative. We came down in the, in the for a for a number of reasons, but it appears that this episode has taken on new life and new legs, as this question appears to be interesting to uh, more people over the course of the last couple of spins of the induction system as the inductions appear to be, I think, less than uh, uh, appealing to a lot of us old-timers who are trying to balance the nature of what this music business thing is really all about and what allowed for the uh, this rise of po- in popular music label it what you want rock and roll jazz blues rhythm and blues etc cetera, etc cetera, old time wh- whatever but who was the singer who really encompassed every particular style within these genres uh has to be mr sinatra whether it be whether it be his version of old man river or whether it be uh, his ability to connect with the songs about people who are disenfranchised from their love life, he embraces the very notion of why people quite often write love songs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But then something happened in 1966. Where do you place that's life? Well, (laughs) I haven't even gotten there yet. I know. I'm trying to move it along. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Is that what you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) So, as I was saying, uh, then something happened in 1966 in the midst of the invasion of rock and roll and uh, British bands and rhythm and blues and soul, Frank records a little ditty called That's Life. That's Life. That's Life. I love the story of him in his car and O.C. Smith's version um, backed by Leon Russell, Leon Russell again. Um, and he hears it in the car radio, arranged in, and uh, conducted by a very interesting man, Mort Garson, um, who had some very interesting credits in terms of um, psychedelia and, and, and um, 
Moog synthesizer records. But he hears it on his car radio. He stops, he pulls over, he calls Nancy to find the publisher. And he records the song. And O.C. Smith, I don't think, made too much noise with, with this song. But in Frank's case, it went to number one on the easy listening chart, number four on the Hot 100. And it was a, a big, big record. Now, it was a big record during a time when rock dominated the charts. So why do yeah. you think it was a big record? What do you hear in that song that I still hear to this day? Well, I, I, it's, it's got swagger. You know, I mean, it, 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 there, there was this self-identifying, because uh, Frank had been through so many metamorphoses in his career. And, you know, the ring-a-ding-ding Frank of the late 50s, um, he was, you know, the swinger. But here he's sort of once again redefining himself as the aging lion with swagger and unapologetic. And there's a couple of songs that he, of course, my way. Uh, but this one, I think, preceded my way. And um, he's, he's telling you that he's a survivor. And that he's um, not only is a survivor, he's uh, he's chewing it up. But he also will not be anything other than Sinatra. So on that's the, right. on he the, did it his way. On the That's Life album, he could have taken some of the components that made That's Life the hit that it was. There are elements of jazz. There's elements of blues. There's elements of uh, of the the Broadway stage and rock opera ish intonations going on here. His delivery is so deliberate in its ease and attempt to convey a message that he had never really conveyed in music before which is the just basic, you just got to throw your hands down and you got to just take it as it comes. You roll with the punches. He doesn't have his guard up in this particular recording as much as he's prepared for anything. Yeah, well, it, uh, there was uh, uh, something written about the fact that Nelson Riddle, who arranged the album, which was produced by your buddy Jimmy Bowen with Glenn Campbell and the Wrecking Crew, in the uh, in the band, but it was um, all the uh, songs in the album. They had switched from string dominant to horn dominant mm -hmm. uh, uh, arrangements for this kind of like, like I say, this kind of swaggering, uh, jaunty uh, attitude. And it was a punch, but it's not the Count Basie type punch. It it delivers something that's more of the day. And it seems to uh, work its way through those radio waves uh, and dig tunnels in a way other Sinatra records were incapable of doing. You can imagine why Something Stupid, his duet with Nancy, became a hit record. Here you've got something that's so simplified 
and something that is so, uh, it's, it's like baby shark. I know I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me. And if we go someplace to dance, I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me. Then afterwards we drop into a quiet little place and have a drink or two. Then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love you. It's very hard to turn away from. It's <laughs> very hard not to listen to it. I don't know how much time you spent really attempting to listen to this recording, which is perfectly done. Father yeah, well, and father you, you're and talking about something stupid? Yeah, something stupid. Yeah, yeah. Well, you couldn't get away from it. No, you couldn't get away from it. But the reasons that you couldn't get away from it are what I'm attempting to define. I, I, I do not uh, negate that recording for one second. But what Frank also does on the That's Life album is he doesn't take that particular uh, roll of the dice and work it uh, through the ten songs. He, he throws Winchester Cathedral at you of all the records that were on the charts at that particular time. What does he throw at you? Winchester Cathedral. Now, he recorded yeah. Downtown, pretty swinging version of Downtown for the same sessions, but didn't make it to the album. So the track list for that, That's Life is Michelle Legrand's I Will Wait For You, Somewhere My Love from Dr. Zhivago, Sand and Sea, What Now My Love, Winchester Cathedral, Jim Harbert's Give Her Love, Tell Her You Love Her Each Day, The Impossible Dream, Aye. and Andre Previn and Dory Previn's You're Gonna Hear From Me. If that's not... And that's a, life. If, and that's life, topping off. That opens the album. They don't okay. throw it in the middle. They don't put it aside too. That opens the record. So well, I love I love the organ, the Hammond organ, played by Mike Melvoin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a groovy, groovy organ, man. And uh, <laughs> inspired a, by Jimmy Smith. It's a great Smith. story that they're talking about. Um, you know, Frank was famous for only wanting to do one take, so he did the the one take, and he. Uh, Ended it with a my my, um, and uh, no, he ended with oh yeah, and and uh, Nelson said well, let's do another take. And Frank was pissed off, and when he got to the end, he went my my, uh, sort of you know biting, and, uh, and Nelson said we got it. Well, Frank didn't like wasting any time, and he also was one of those believers. And in the movies, you hear the same stories. You know, we got this one. That famous scene with Ernest Borgnine in the bar where he wants a bash Ernest Borgnine's brains in. You know, you're not going to get it any better than that. You're just yeah, but of course, at that point, he was uh, hungry for a way back. So I doubt that he was... Uh, making demands well he wasn't making the demands that he was capable of making years before and the demands he was able to make certainly again 
up until his uh, final performance in 1995. But what he did do was understand that this talent never dissipated, but that times change and you have to work with the times. And only one person that I can think of in entertainment has been capable of being able to create this metamorphosis uh, through film, through uh, every form of of talk, television, and uh, be able to do so with, yes, genuinely do it the way that he wanted to do it, to do it his way. So why does Sinatra belong in the, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I, I want to make this really clear. I don't give a fuck about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a corporate entity, and its design is, is, is to make money for a lot of people that quite often are, they're, they're living off the fumes of our dollars from 50, 60 years ago. That's evident. So if we're going to go into artistic merit, and we're going to go into artistic merit alone, you could really wean down the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from the first three inductions when you've got Elvis and you've got Chuck Berry and you've got Little Richard, you've got Jerry Lee, et cetera, et cetera. The stories there are so much more significant than the stories that were told during those first Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. But what else did Frank Sinatra do? He created two of the most important albums that were ever recorded because they conceptually held together the idea of the concept album before there was any intention of recording a concept album. That first, of course, is Frank Sinatra sings for only the lonely. I don't think there is a better pop record ever recorded than only the lonely. From track list, it is the torch song uh, Bible and I don't think anything like it has ever been done before with the genuineness, the tenderness and the sense of everything that is the antithesis of what that those words rock and roll are supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about something different defined and that works its way right into your soul where you really can't help yourself from either jumping with immense inspirational joy or weeping. Um, That's my take. Then you've got September of my years. Here's a guy at 51 years of age who is making a record about that process. That process of not being Frank Sinatra, but about being all of us. And how do we get there? And what do we do now? And what does it all look like in the rearview mirror? 
and what could it potentially look like ahead. And from that album comes September of My Years, which is the B-side, as you had pointed out, to That's Life, an interesting choice. And, of course, it was a very good year. I don't know That's if, one of my favorites. I don't know if a greater pop song, and we're going to call it a pop song because these are the kind of songs that are no longer... Uh, you don't sit down to write, and it was a very good year any longer. To be that literary, that literate, and to be that profound. Uh, we dance around things. In this well, I think I think uh, Broadway. You know, of course, the the Great American Songbook, but also Broadway and the stories that were being enacted had influence on particular types of pop composers. And we don't have that anymore. No, no. Um, That's very well said. Broadway, to me, the only rock musical was Guys and Dolls. To me, (laughs) still, the only rock musical is Guys and Dolls. I think that the, the complete disregard for uh, anything that is supposed to be civil about marriage, relationships, uh, gambling. I think everything that is the anti is in Guys and Dolls. And you got Stubby K. And you got Stubby K, and you got the great late Pat Rooney uh, Sr. singing a song called More I Cannot Wish You that in any other time could have become a, a, should have become a a major uh, hit record. Uh, So how does this relate to uh, That's Life? Well, That's Life was the song that led younger people to understand that this lion was only sleeping. But the point is that he's not, he was not, he was considered... But he wasn't that old is what I'm saying. No, he wasn't that old if you're going to, but he still was old enough to get a lot of flack for marrying Mia Farrow. Right. I mean, he was old enough. He had to be... He was 50. He he was was, around 50. He was around 50 years of age, right. And September of my years followed, followed after. Um, so what, so, so by this time, born in 1915, so he was 51 in 66. So he's already made the transition to Republican from, from devout liberal and Democrat, something that changed in him as a result of his affiliation with the Kennedys. Um, and so he's already being ostracized in the same way Louis Armstrong is being ostracized for not being black enough, um, those days with uh, during the Vietnam War, they were they were brutal, and they would be brutal to any career that did not take a side uh, or opposed itself as being uh, Nixonian in, in 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 nature. So yeah, he took the hits for that, <coughs> but I never ever put him in a category of um, of uh, a member of the military industrial complex. He was Frank. He was always just Frank Sinatra. It was always just Frank Sinatra. So where that puts that's life is it puts it in the 
in the addition of that category as to how can you not, with this particular recording in 1966 and the competition that surrounded, not take seriously a career that helped build the institution itself that is called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For those who have trouble distinguishing between Gene Vincent, Billy Fury, and Frank Sinatra, I can't help you. But for those of you with enough historical accuracy and enough musical definition to understand the entire career encompassed from the house I live in all the way through his ability to still sing Fly Me to the Moon uh, months before his death, uh, I have to consider him, he's, he was a mutineer. So let's riff with the man, the chairman of the board, Frank fucking Sinatra. This record is called That's Life. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. That's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks. Stopping on a dream But I don't let it Let it get me down Cause this fine old world It keeps spinning around I've been a puppet A pauper A pirate A poet A pawn and a king I've been up and down And over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life. That's life. I tell you, I can't deny it. I thought of quitting, baby, but my heart just ain't gonna buy it. And if I didn't think it was worth one single try I'd jump right on a big bird And then I'd fly I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet A pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself playing Flat on my face I just pick myself up And get back in the race That's life That's life And I can't deny it Many times I thought of cutting out But my heart won't buy it But if there's nothing shaking Come this here July I'm gonna roll myself up in a big ball and 
tells you everything you need to know, right, my friend? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Huh? What else do you need to In know? In a nutshell. What, what else do you need to know? You could go through the Bible. You could go through the works of, of Muhammad, the works of Buddha. You could go through all the work. What, did you, what could you learn that you just didn't learn in that particular I've been so, down and out and over and out, and I know one thing. Every time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up. Myself up and get, get back, back in the race. That's life. And the way he hits that, that's life. Who hits that note? Who could have hit that? That's life. And he just brings it into this place of joy and inspiration. And you're going I remember the first time I actually saw him perform and he snaps his fingers, he looks up at the sky and he's got that's life and he's just he's in love. He's There's in love. There's a great clip of him doing it live on some television special. I recommend everybody go check that out. So I guess do I think there's anybody who ever did it better than Frank Sinatra? The answer is no. So let me let me put it that way. And uh, you know, Stop my ramblings about uh, his, his his place in history is, is solidified. Certainly don't need anyone like myself to uh, to build that up. But since people seem to be interested, once again, is put him in his rightful place. Yeah, yeah. Any institution that is about art and integrity is the rightful place of Frank Francis Albert Sinatra. Okay, well, I guess I'm finished. Well, well sermonized. Want to move on to Al Jolson? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for putting up with me this morning, my friend. Well, it's, it's always entertaining. You're a gracious master of uh, ceremonies, and you're a gracious uh, host, and you are a, always gracious in your insights and your, your deliverances. And uh, I am very grateful to have you in my life for the majority of it. And... Uh, I mean that. Likewise, likewise, brother. Likewise. That's the story. You are my, uh, you are my special angel, Bill Mesnick. <laughs> I will. I will. We will be back, and everybody will be back, and we'll all be back together. And uh, by the next time, I hope everybody is even better than well, and that every you're all taking care of yourselves. And uh, before you know it, we're all going to be, we're all going to be back at Woodstock. Thank you for sticking with us. We are the Splendid Bohemians, Bill Mesnick, Rich Buckland, and we'll be back with another episode of Put on a Stack of 45s. Thank you, kids. We'll see you later. Adios, amigos. Adios. Adios.